Welcome back. I'm Danny Torres, host of the Talking 21 podcast and part of the Our Esquina podcast network. I want to especially thank our listeners who continue to post phenomenal reviews, commenting on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and telling us especially how much they're enjoying our podcast. And on behalf of the Talking 21 podcast crew, we thank you very, very much. But before we begin, I'd like to extend my sincerest condolences to the family of 1979 World Series champion, who I met in 2016, Rennie Stennett, who passed away on May 18th. It was 50 years ago. On September 1st, 1971, this Pirates infielder and starting second baseman. On that day, for the first time in Major League Baseball history, the Pittsburgh Pirates fielded a lineup that consisted entirely of Black and Afro-Latino ballplayers. Even in 1975, Rennie Stennett was also the second player to get seven hits in a nine-inning game. May this World Series champion rest in peace. And now, without further ado, here is part two of the Talking 21 podcast installment of my amazing conversation with the great Willie Randolph. Going back to your Major League debut, you had some role models there. You had the great Willie Stargell, future uh, Baseball Hall of Famer. You had, of course, uh, Manny Sanguin, who actually I just spoke to uh, the other day, um, sadly hearing the news of uh, the passing of another pirate um, that, uh, you know, Grant Jackson. What specifically did you hear, if you did, uh, stories that maybe Willie shared, that Doc shared about Roberto Clemente? And certainly if there wasn't anything in particular that they shared, there's got to be something that you saw as a young ball player from Willie Stargell and Roberto's teammates that really truly showed you how much his leadership impacted that team and those specific players. So if you can, Willie, just talk a little bit about those players that I mentioned. Yeah, I wasn't fortunate enough to hear a lot of stories that they showed me about Roberto. I would have loved to have heard those stories because Willie and Roberto were like this. They were a brotherhood. They were tight. Talking about we are family. We are family started back when Roberto was there teaching these guys how to play. They all revered him. They all loved him. He was the best. And he prepared them as winners. I learned an awful lot from a lot of my teammates, whom I'm very honored and, and grateful for that experience, one I'll never forget. But I'd like to point out one particular teammate of mine. He kind of shined a little brighter than most and stood a little taller than most men. He had the ability to play the game as though his entire life depended on every ball game. He passed that atmosphere of playing, but more importantly, he taught me the importance of, of being a man, to be able to command respect rather than demand it. I'm talking about a gentleman who has a very special place in my heart and always will, Roberto Clemente. You know, listening to this induction speech by the late Willie Stargell, 
who shared some profound words about Roberto Clemente. I immediately began to understand the true magnitude of the great one. In his eyes, Roberto was more than a baseball player. He was more than a teammate. He was more than a mere memory of his playing days. In his eyes, Roberto was a hero. It reminded me of a memorable movie scene. No, it wasn't Field of Dreams. No, it wasn't Bill Durham, The Natural, or even The Pride of the Yankees. But you ready for this? It was Spider-Man 2. There's a powerful scene in which Spider-Man's elderly aunt is speaking about heroes in her backyard. Everybody loves a hero. People line up for them, cheer them, scream their names, and years later they'll tell how they stood in the rain for hours just to get a glimpse of the one who taught him to hold on a second longer. I believe there's a hero in all of us that keeps us honest, gives us strength, makes us noble, and finally allows us to die with pride, even though sometimes we have to be steady and, and give up the thing we want the most. Even our dreams. Spider-Man did that for Henry, and he wonders where he's gone. He needs him. The words she uttered indirectly changed the course of her nephew's life forever. It was clear from the speech that Roberto transformed the life of Willie Stargell. Maybe it was an indirect conversation Roberto had about baseball, or maybe it was a broad view of the world. But whatever it was, it's clear that Willie Stargell's extraordinary teammate from Puerto Rico had an immeasurable impact on him and all of those who were in his orbit. And I remember one of the things that, that Willie shared with me but when I got traded to the Yankees, uh, he called me up and it really kind of threw me back because I'm 21 years old and I'm not feeling like I'm there yet. But before he would make his mark wearing pinstripes, Willie Randolph shared his recollections about a conversation with Willie Stargell, who shared some heartfelt advice and playing alongside his roommate, who I knew very well, the late Doc Ellis. They proudly wore the black and gold and helped an aspiring infielder from Brooklyn find his way from Pittsburgh to the Big Apple and one day becoming a hometown hero. But he could see something in me. He knew that growing up in the pirate organization and being around him and some of the guys that I, they were rubbing off on me and they could see the way I handled myself that I, that I got it, that I was ready to take off. He said something to me that I'll never forget, Danny. He said, Willie, Go over there and play your game, be yourself, teach those guys how to win. And I went, whoa, whoa, man, how to win? I mean, they got guys like Thurman Munson, Roy White, they got a bunch of guys over there that know how to win, but he gave me that confidence to know, go over there and be yourself, play with confidence, but carry yourself like a Pittsburgh Pirate, show them how to win. And that really meant a lot to me. And so 
he knew that I was caught up into the whole uh, family thing there. And the pirates have a special way of bringing the kids up the way uh, Doc Ellis took, took, took him under his wing. My first year, they put me with, with him as, as, as my, my roommate. Now, a lot that of people- been, That must've been a lot of fun. I must've been a lot of fun. <laughs> but he but he took care of me and let everybody was going, oh my goodness, you gave, you gave Willie with Doc, great, great sense of humor. You give it a shirt off his back, great teammate. He would protect his players. I love playing behind him because if anybody came close to you, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Doc would just give you a wink and then the next time up the other guy, he get he get buzzed also or whatever. So he took care of you. I mean, one day he hit Reggie Jackson in the head. Hit him in the head. I thought he uh, it was gonna kill him, but he hit him right well, there. I, I, I want to recommend to our listeners if uh, and just correct that because the story goes, the story goes yeah. is uh, here it is, Doc Ellis uh, for the New York Yankees, 1976. Um, and you have Reggie Jackson in a Baltimore Orioles uniform before he comes to the Yankees. Right. And Doc basically drilled someone in the side. I forget who the player was. And Reggie just basically, there you go, basically just screams out, hey, why don't you hit me? And if we all know that Doc Ellis smirked, he probably even looked at you and was like, really? And just basically <laughs> let loose, hit, hit Reggie in the jaw, and Reggie went to the floor. And from what I'm told, Doc even walked over and said, is he dead? Uh, you know, and that, and that Doc Ellis voice is. And listen, let's be honest, Willie. You know, he was a hell of a storyteller. I miss Doc. And um, I just think the one thing that all those players truly got from Roberto was what you talked about, that before we are family of 79, certainly that's the reason why that 71 team won. They had, they had Roberto at the top, the father figure of that ball club, and basically he just carried that entire team. And interesting enough, that was 50 years ago. And in, in his in his legacy, it was carried on. I mean, you know, the family thing, everyone knew that Roberto, they were playing for him. You know, you, you can see, you can tell that. I mean, you can see in the locker rooms, there was always something that, that resembled him in their locker or whatever. They always, uh, you know, unspokenly in a way, knew his presence was there. So to so me, there's no doubt in my mind that, that, that his presence, you know, was felt in, in, in a negative way because his talent wasn't there. But spiritually, he was always with the team and, and, and it really helped the young players to grow. Frankie Tavares was there at the time as young yeah. player. Young Omar Marino, all those yeah. kids were touched by by Roberto. So John, John Candelaria, John Candelaria. Craig Reynolds, I mean, I can just go on down the line. Tony Armis was there for a while before he got traded over. I mean, how about this in, in the Pirates? We had me, Tony Armis, Remember, remember Miguel Delaunay? Remember Delaunay? Very, very similar to Omar Marino, but he was another guy, center fielder, really good for Ed Ott, who was on that team. Ed Ott, I remember Ed Ott, yeah. Rick Langford. I mean, we had an unbelievable group of guys on, on those teams. Steve Nicosia. So again, uh, Pirates always had a great organization. They always taught the right way. And again, that was the foundation for me before I came to the Yankees. There have been countless times, especially in baseball, where a fan will say, growing up, that guy was my favorite. I love the way he played the game. He was my hero. Last year, there were 10 baseball Hall of Famers. Heroes for some, hero for millions, who passed away and throughout their unbelievable careers, millions collected their cards, met them in person, and maybe even have a signed baseball in their collection. For that fan, it's a moment they will never, ever forget.
of those esteemed members whose bronze plaques are on display inside the hallowed halls of a quaint museum in upstate New York. Willie Randolph personally knew each one and they were friends. He even shared a bit about their unique camaraderie and I wouldn't be surprised if he even has an autograph ball signed by two of those immortals from Cooperstown, Joe Morgan and Bob Gibson. So here it is uh, in 2020, and then sadly news continued in 2021, Willie. We lost a number of baseball Hall of Famers, and I believe the number is 10, and the last one sadly was the great Hank Aaron, but there were some prominent black ball players, black Hall of Famers that we lost. Lou Brock, Bob Gibson, Joe Morgan, and of course, Hank Aaron. And any particular recollections that you could share with our listeners on any of those players? Uh, I, I probably have a story for each one of those guys, almost. I mean, it, it was just, I've been so fortunate and so blessed to be able to be touched by a lot of these cats. So, I mean, I didn't get a chance to really know Al Kaline, because we almost forget Al Kaline passed away early in the year. He did, Al Kaline, yeah. Class Whitey guy. Ford, Whitey Ford, that was an impact to the Yankee uh, organization, losing yes, yeah. Whitey Ford, you that, that I, Tom that, Seaver, Tom Seaver. Yes, Tom Seaver. I mean, even a little bit before that, the great Bob Watson. We could talk about him later if you want. As like Joe Morgan being a former second baseman, I mean, Joe was, was you know, he was the standard. You know, I, I so look forward after his career. Competing against him was one thing. I mean, he pushed me. He motivated me. I want to be like him. I try to emulate him at times. But but what what I love more than anything is, is is the relationship we had after baseball when he was doing all the Sunday night games with John with John um, uh, with, with John and everything on the show and he would come down before the game as you see on the field when you're there we're sitting around hitting fungos taking batting practice and we can kind of talk a little bit he would come over and we have conversations about baseball about hitting and Joe always did that for me so I missed that about him and uh, and over the years we stayed in touch. Bob Gibson was always around, the great Bob Gibson. I was afraid to even approach this guy, Dan. You know, he was a big intimidating guy. <laughs> I heard he, about them. I heard about his reputation. He didn't yeah. like hitters. He didn't like hitters at all, right? Even after his career was over, he wouldn't even speak to hitters or whatever. He was one of the toughest competitors I've ever seen in my life. But he and Joe Torre were very close. So when we had that run from 96 into the 2000s, uh, Hoot, we called him Hoot, but he would always come into town and he would hang out with Joe. So if we went, went to play the Red Sox, he would go on the plane with us. We'd go out to have dinner and we were sitting and drink wine and have great food. And he would just talk baseball all night. Can you imagine that? Are you kidding me? Tell my dining on heaven, man. You kidding me? So the, I would sit there and listen to Bob to Bob tell stories all the time. Um, you know, like I said, Bob Watson was another guy that was a mentor to me. I spoke to Bob probably twice a month. He was my hitting coach, my teammate, my general manager with the Yankees. Tell my class personified, you know, Bob, I mean, you know. Yeah, you know, I had an opportunity, Willie, to meet him twice and he really idolized Clemente and he always yes. shared this story. I've seen it in documentaries where it was in the Astrodome and if Clemente didn't basically just leap in one of those motions of uh, Roberto Clemente and pretty much just stole that homer off Bob Watson in wow. the Astrodome, and uh, Bob was like, you know, we would have won that game if it wasn't because of Roberto's greatness. And here it is, the Pirates won that actual game 3-0. Uh, 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 and, um, you know, certainly uh, Bob Watson impacted not only your career, but in the friendship that you had with him. And certainly instrumental, first African-American general manager to be a part of a World Series championship in 1996. And part one 
Willie talked about the profound impact of Gene Baker. He was an infield coach of the Pirates. But as a player, and interesting enough, he was Clemente's teammate when they won the World Series in 1960. But it was his time in the Negro League that fascinated Willie, who was quite knowledgeable about this period of baseball. When he received the call from the New York Mets in 2004 that he would become their next manager, he received a congratulatory call from the great Buck O'Neill. And wait until you hear Willie's impersonation of not only good old Buck's message to Willie, but even the boss himself, the one and only George Steinbrenner. Buck O'Neill was um, one of the first persons to, to call and congratulate me when I got the Met job. The first one was Frank. Yes. And because over the years, you know, he knew my struggle and trying to find a job to go through all the interviews and not be able to get an opportunity. So um, I remember, and, and, and if I can honor him real quick, um, uh, I love Buck and I get goosebumps talking about him, but he told me, he goes, ah, Willie, it's Buck O'Neill. I'm so proud of you. He said the first time, first African-American manager in New York history. He said, I told you to hang in there, young man. He said, I'm so happy for you. If you need for anything, come to Kansas City, come by the museum. I'll be there to take you out to lunch. Again, congratulations, son. So that, that's the right You still have that voicemail somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know what I did? And it's so weird. I actually, oh man, this is funny you brought that up. Back then we had the flip phones. Remember the, the flip phones back then? And, 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 and back then, if you didn't um, kind of, uh, if you went to your messages, if you didn't kind of save them, they would delete automatically. So, so I kept those messages. I even have them for Mr. Steinbrenner. George Steinbrenner called me. Yep. And, God bless him. You know, I mean, I, I don't like to, just so I respect. I go, you know, hey, Willie, it's George. You know, hey, good luck. Good, good, good luck, Willie. You know, hey, hey, good job. You go over there. So the guys had to win now, okay? Don't get just get That's George real quick and everything. And I had those on my phone. I had those on my phone. It's funny that you mentioned Steinbrenner. To this day, I would have had an opportunity to go into his office and break bread and sit down with him. And I, growing up a Med fan, Willie, I was like, ah, I don't want to meet the, the boss. I don't want to meet Mr. Steinbrenner. But I'll tell you this, the only interaction, if you want to call it that, old Yankee Stadium, I'm in the elevator. He walks in. There was an elevator operator. You might recall that at the old Yankee Stadium. And immediately, everyone's against the wall. And I'm like, oh, shoot. This is the boss. This is Steinbrenner. But nobody, I mean, nobody even said, good morning, Mr. Steinbrenner. It was just silence in the, ele in the elevator. And when he left... You know, it was kind of like that drop, like, again, I'm a Met fan. I'm a Met fan. And I was like, oh, shoot, that was that was Mr. Starbrother. And once again, Danny could have went into that office right behind the auxiliary press box. I could have went in and broke bread and just make a little chit-chat. And Danny just basically was like, ah, I don't want to go over there. <laughs> you froze up. You froze up, man. You froze. It was 15 years ago. The New York Mets were division champs, and I was there. After the celebration in the clubhouse, and man, I was even doused with some champagne. I can vividly recall standing on the pitcher's mound at Shea Stadium and interviewing New York Mets manager, Willie Randolph. I even played back that interview and listened to that one-on-one -on -one conversation on my mini cassette recorder. But without question, the 2006 National League Championship Series 
was truly magical. And yet so many years later, I asked Willie, could he manage in the world the baseball analytics? I wasn't surprised to hear his response to that question, but I could still sense the passion is still burning inside for the game of baseball. I'm so proud of the room we had in 06 because, you know, growing up in New York as a Met fan, just like you were, I was a Met fan as a kid. Um, I, I, I wanted to be able to bring back some joy to the Met fans. I mean, the Yankees are pretty much dominated for the most part of the city. I think Met fans were seen, kind of seeming like second-class citizens. So I just remember addressing the club in that, you know, we are going to find our niche. We're going to make our way. We're going to start our own legacy here. So for us to get through 05 and for us to, you know, come back a little bit and then finally knock the Braves off that perch after 13 years of dominance by the Atlanta Braves, finally knock them off that perch. So the, the, the feeling of pride it just was overwhelming for me because you can't imagine a kid who grew up in the sandlots of New York having an opportunity to look around Shea Stadium where I I spent a lot of time and see the fans go crazy and feel like, wow, thank you for bringing us back. Thank you for putting together this great team of unbelievable ballplayers who play for each other, who play for you, the city of New York. That's a powerful feeling, Danny. And that's something I'll never ever forget because not many people have the opportunity to experience something like that, where you could be in the roots of the city that you grew up in, but also bring joy to the people that you love and the game that you love. So for me, that would be the ultimate. And then on the flip side of that, the ultimate disappointment was the following year where, you know, we collapsed and we were even closer. All we needed was one win or two to get over that hump. But for me, when I think about 06, that was probably one of the, one of the most fun years of my career. And even having said that, with all the championships I've won, that was the first time that I managed my team, the team that I managed to a championship. So that to me is on the top of the list for me. And again, the fact that I was part of New York and part of the fact that I brought a lot of joy and kind of um, pride back to the Yankee, to back to the, the Mets, always made me feel real good. So that's a it was a very special year for me. As far as analytics, I, listen, I have no problem with analytics. I mean, that's the thing. Uh, you know, I think that they've kind of bombarded the sport with a little bit too much of that. And I think there should be a happy medium where you can have a little bit of, not even call it old school, Danny, it's experience, old school experience, call it what you want. And with the nuances of analytics, put them together. But ultimately as a manager, you have to lead and you have to, to know that the players respect what you're doing and that you're making the calls, you're calling the shots. I don't always feel nowadays that, that the manager's Hands are not tied, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you 100% because, Willie, you know the truth in baseball today. You know it. You know it. Hands are tied. Yeah, they are tied. And that, to me, and what it does more than anything, it undermines leadership. I think leadership is so important, not just in sports, but in this world. We need more of that. And I think when you tell players that the manager's not in charge and leading the team, it takes a little bit out of weight or whatever, okay? And But but again, I do believe in analytics as far as, you know, using information. If it's going to make my players better, use it you know, take advantage of it, okay? But ultimately, you know, the game is played, Mr. Joe Torre always said, the game is played with a heartbeat. It's played with a heartbeat by human beings, okay? And sometimes you have to look at a situation and your eyes and your gut will tell you that this is the right thing to do at the time, okay? Now, if you're on the fence a little bit and you're not sure and you talk to your coaches, well, what should I do here? Or do you think that, you know, I'm thinking about doing this? And then if it's on the fence, then yeah, okay, you might want to go with a, a large sample size of analytics. Don't give me a short sample size, though, because 
you have to give me some at bats, 20, 30 at bats. Now I can see, okay, there's a pattern here, but but a lot of times they'll use statistics on these small sample sizes. And I don't think that 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 washes because that could be luck. That could be a situation we might get a blooper or whatever. So I think that you have to have a larger sample size, but I think I can manage today in, on, on the analytics because especially, how about this, Danny? Especially if the opposition is playing a shift on me, you're gonna give my team a whole side of an infield? Thank you very much. I'll take a chance at whatever. If my general manager is okay with me attacking defense, I guarantee you I'll win a lot of games for you because I'll make you adjust to me, okay? All right, you can't dictate to me how I'm gonna play, all right? But if you give me a whole side of a field, if you don't hold me on, okay? Or if you got catchers on one knee, they're teaching catchers now to get on one knee. Yeah, let me see a catcher on one knee. I'll run you out of the ballpark, okay? So it's all about winning, all about making adjustments. It's all about attacking. And, and so I would have no problem with, with managing on the analytics or whatever, as long as my general manager gave me the flexibility at times to go with my gut and what I feel to help my team win that day. And uh, you said it uh, best, which is a great quote from uh, Baseball Hall of Famer, Joe Torre, that the game has a heartbeat. Um, I think uh, Yankee fans, are, well, let's let's put let's be honest. Everyone knows I'm a Met fan, but I am open to questions. And certainly we have a question that came to our Twitter account of talking at Talking 21 podcast. And the question comes from a Lou Rosario and his handle is Chai Town uh, uh, Lou. And his question is for Louis, uh, excuse me, Louis, I was going to let you Louis. Willie Randolph is growing up in Brooklyn. It must have been a dream come true to be a part of the Mets and Yankees as a player, coach, and eventually a manager. Is there anything specifically unique about being a part of Yankee history? And that's from Lou Rosario. Yeah, great question, Lou. Great, great question. Uh, it, it, it is unique. It's special playing for the Yankees. And, and you have to be a part of the organization that we understand that. You hear people talk about it and talk about Yankee lore and Yankee legacy. But to me, uh, as a player, ultimately, you all you want is a chance to win. You want an opportunity to go out every day and have a chance to win and ultimately win a championship. The Yankees do that as well as anyone. As far as giving an opportunity, I can't imagine. And I've been blessed. In some cases, I've been spoiled to be a part of organizations that when the season starts, when April 1st comes around, we have a legitimate chance to win, okay? And so that's what, to me, it makes the Yankees unique because even going back to, you know, forget about the old days when Babe Ruth and Mickey and all those guys were at that dynasty. You know, when Mr. Steinbrenner took over, he tried to bring all of that back, and he did. He was successful at that. So to play for someone who has that, that, that history, that legacy, the richness of championships, and then also to have someone who's not afraid to go out every year and give an opportunity to get better, whether the pitching staff, your offense, your defense, that to me is special because most players, when they come over, a lot of them will say that in their press conferences, Dan, you've heard them. You probably asked the question, you know, uh, what is it about being with the Yankees? And they'll talk about the mystique and the lore and all the things that they hear from other people. But that's real. It sounds corny. And every once in a while, people are like, I ah, enough of that Yankee stuff, blah, blah, blah. But, but it, it, when you're in it, when you feel it, when you win championships, it's real. So that's to me 
what separates the Yankees from a lot of teams. Not saying that there's great organizations, you know, with Atlanta Braves, the St. Louis Cardinals, you know, I can go on down the Dodgers. I had a chance to play for the Dodgers back in, in, in late in the early 90s. So for Willie, me, can we mention Mets? Can we mention Mets, Willie? Can we yeah, mention Mets? Mets no, no, listen, <laughs> you know, Danny, I, I, I was a Mets fan, the biggest Mets fan ever. People don't believe that when I say that because I'm a, a Yankee in their mind or whatever. But, but hey, you know what? I love the Mets. The 69 Mets were the team that we were dancing in. Ken Boswell, you mentioned it. You won number 12 for Ken Boswell. So I believe. I, little Al Jackson, I got a chance to meet him. I watched him when he was pitching with the Mets back in the day when they weren't that good. So for me, um, uh, it's just such a, a dream come true blessing when you think of a kid from Brownsville, Brooklyn, can play for the Mets, be captain of the Yankees, manage the Mets, and be able to share all these great moments with the people that I grew up uh, being with, my, my family, my cousins, my aunts, my uncles, my, my classmates. People that I see in the streets. I walk down the streets of New York and and, and people still, hey Willie, we love you, Willie, we love you. I mean, it's just a great feeling because uh Yankees or Mets, I get love from both sides, man. So it's pretty it's pretty special. Well, Willie, certainly so much happened in 2020 along the lives of Black Lives Matter throughout Major League Baseball and literally not only the nation, but around the world. But if there was a wake-up call, there was a wake-up call where you now see. Uh, black ball players, specifically black baseball players, who stood up to talk about injustices, things of what they specifically would like to see in the game of baseball. Now you have what is called the Players Alliance. I'm sure you maybe have heard some players, former ball players as well, that have been involved. But there's always that concern, Willie, of the lack of African Americans throughout Major League Baseball, specifically the ball players, coaching staff administrative level. So Willie, I'd like to hear your thoughts on what possibly still can be done of what has already happened. Yeah, well, we still have a long way to go, Danny. I mean, it's, it's really, it hurts a little bit that we're still talking about this. I remember when I was managing the Mets in 08, I think there was uh, seven or eight African-American or, or, or minority managers in the game. Now there's only two. And before Dusty Baker got the job with Houston, there was only one in Dave Roberts. So I, I always think back, to what Jackie Robinson said on his, on his speech when he, day he retired. He said, you know, so I would love for one day to see if I'm alive to see a black man. And he didn't even say managing on, on in the bench. He talked about being a third base. So he didn't even that's, think at the time it would be realistic to say that man. He said third base coach, which- That's amazing when you think about that, Willie, right? That he was just talking necessarily coaching, not necessarily yeah. someone managing, you know? Yeah. And that really wasn't that long ago, you know? But, but I'm very proud of, of, of the Baseball Alliance. I think these young kids are doing a great thing, finally. Um, we need to galvanize and bring, um, uh, you know, bring a voice to what's going on in the game. We're losing a whole generation of kids to other sports, Danny. It's, it's terrible. When we grew up as kids, we were out in the street playing every day. I know baseball is trying to do things through their initiative programs and they continue to work on that. But, but, but when you talk about, but that's one level, that's the grassroots level. What I'm talking more about is getting uh, black coaches in the pipeline. So ultimately we become managers or whatever. There's got to be more of that. You can't just be this, this old boy network where they're just filtering the same people. And, and what's even scarier nowadays, Danny, is that you have this new group of, of, of analytic guys who, you know, you called it, you called it. Yeah. Taking care of, of, you know, this little money tree of, of money ball disciples, if you will. And, and it seems like you have to be a, a, a high, a Ivy league grad to, to even you know get into the loop or whatever you know they're trying to it's it's becoming to the point where again uh, people are being kind of subtracted out of the out of, out of the system and we need more 
inclusion in it. So uh, I just hope that 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 the, the groups they put together, uh, the, the dialogue that's being felt in this situation, really get some teeth to it because I've been around a long time, four or five decades in the game, and we've gone up and down. You know, talk about the Rooney Rule and stuff like that. There shouldn't be a Rooney Rule. Okay, it should be straight up the best man for the job. Okay. And, 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 and that's really all anybody, no matter what ethnic background you're in, that's all you want is an opportunity, okay? But, but, but if you're gonna have a system where, again, you're gonna have exclusion for whatever reason, uh, it's just not gonna happen. So I just challenge Major League Baseball and who's ever involved in, in, in all these committees to really think long and hard about, about, about uh, nurturing the young kids when they leave baseball, they get involved in coaching, but really get them in the pipeline so they can learn from the best, they continue to grow and move up the ladder and, and get in a situation where they're fair, legitimate interviews, okay? I know sometimes you get the token interview, I've been through that, okay? I, I persevered through that. And so if I may ask you, Willie, how many would you say token interviews you actually had? Literally, Willie Randall sat down and said, this is just uh, kind of the Rooney rule in Major League Baseball during that time period. How many would you say you went through? It took me about 11 tries, 12 tries. Wow. 11 tries, I think that uh, seven or eight of them were, were token interviews in my mind. I, I, remember, I remember talking to people in the media who knew like, I was going to Philadelphia or St. Louis or whatever. They would give me a heads up and go, Willie. You're not going to get this job. I said, what do you mean? I said, I'm all prepared. I, I'm ready to go. Just, no, we know Larry Bow is going to get this job in Philly. We know that already. Claire Smith told me that. And, or, 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 and, and, but what am I to do, Danny? I mean, I had to go in there knowing that. And that's a really tough feeling when you know that you're preparing yourself, you think you're going in for a fair opportunity, and you find out even before you go to the interview that you have no chance. So all I can do now is get my head together and go, all I can do now is go in there and try to knock their socks off. Just, just try to blow them away in the interview. That sometimes happens where you can kind of change their mind, okay? If they're not, you know, totally, you know, uh, inch to one guy. But, but that was a tough, tough thing. Talk about pressure. That was pressure when you have to go into a meeting and meet these people for the first time and try to impress them when you know they're looking at you with that like, well, we're gonna pick his brain, but you know, we're not gonna have him right now. So I went through that for a while. Uh, I always tell all my young young coaches are coming up when they ask me this question that you formed to me is that don't even think about that. Even if you hear it, just dismiss it. Go in there and just be prepared. You know, you know, be honest. You know, and tell them what you can do and just be straight. And if anything, if you don't get the job, then you probably will leave an impression on them. Hopefully, where they'll pass it on to the next group and say, you know what, you know, so and so was really impressive. You know what, I like him. You know, he's not he's, he's not a fit right now for whatever reason. But you know what? Maybe next time around. So that's what I tried to learn from all that. But there were plenty of times where I knew I was going to get the opportunity. The good thing for me was that I was going back to an organization like the Yankees, so I had a chance to I had a chance to win still and also continue to grow with a team that would give me the visibility to hopefully get another shot. Willie, you know, I'm thinking immediately as you're talking, and very revealing what you were saying to me right now. Is there someone, a retired African American ball player? I'm just going to throw out a name. Good friend of mine, Mike Cameron, uh, Cliff Floyd, someone, maybe Curtis Grandison, someone that maybe Willie looked at afar and said, you know what, this guy, every time I noticed he was sitting in the bench, he always seemed to be talking to his manager or he's talking to one of his coaches before a game. Is there someone that you could say, Willie, pinpoint that would be an excellent manager, someone that's no longer playing that's African-American? Well, well the third person you mentioned was uh, Curtis Grandison. 
he's one that I think would be an excellent manager if he wanted to. Man, great communicator, knows the game inside and out, has a great demeanor and how to relate to people, and 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 he's one of the heads of the Players Alliance, actually. You know, so comes to mind. Oh, I can name. Uh, remember Damon Easley. Remember Easley? Yeah, Damon Easley. Yeah, he's a former Met. Yeah, he's a former Met. He played for me, and, and he's still coaching, I think, in the San Diego organization. But I think he'd be an excellent, excellent coach. I mean, those are the guys that really pop into my mind. I think Marlon Anderson at one time could have been a good manager also. These guys would always nestle up to me, talking baseball, bringing things up, you know, um, uh, you know, being inquisitive about what was going on around me. Those are the guys that, that you can tell have that have it, you know, that 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 factor of you know what, these guys are born leaders. So I can name a few of the guys, a guy like Bo Porter, who I'm disappointed didn't get another shot. He 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 basically helped build that Houston team before yeah, I would agree he, with that. Yeah. Before they let him go. Yeah. Yeah. They got a chance to win, then they let him go. And, and he has he's now he's now in the commissioner's office right now. Uh, yeah. a couple of days ago I spoke to him the other day, happy for him. And 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 part of what his job is 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 dealing with the, the diversity in baseball and especially in youth baseball. So I'm hoping to be working with him a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, we talked a lot about this. Bo and I have been talking about this for a long time about how we can, you know, get these young brothers and sisters involved in baseball, getting them an opportunity to grow. And and even if it fits on the entry level, just just earn your chops and just learn to to the business and ask questions. So uh, uh, Bo is a guy that 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 I think really should have got another shot. But I can name a few of the cats. But the bottom line is that it's up to Major League Baseball, along with the Players Association, to come together and really be serious about how we can bring some real diversity to the game. And when interviews come up, not just have those those interviews where you're forced to bring a guy in because you don't want any feedback. But just do your due diligence, do your work, okay? Uh, find out uh, what a person is all about and what's in their soul and, and make a hopefully the right decision or whatever. But it's, it's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, I, I really appreciate what Theo Epstein said in one of his interviews not too long ago. Um, he was talking about the whole Black Lives Matter thing and he was saying, I can do better. I need to do better. Uh, because when I look at my organization, this is Theo talking now. He's saying that, that and I'm paraphrasing that, you know, I need to hire more people that don't look like me, okay? I looked around, and even in the modeling system, there are not a lot of people that look like me. And I, and I, and I have a lot of respect for him for saying that, but let's see action and what you're going to do about sure. it, okay? Yeah, it's, it's one thing, you know, uh, actions speak louder than words. Exactly. So I'm hoping that, that he's a man of his word and that he'll really work hard to, to really, you know, practice what he preaches or whatever. But we'll see. But... Um, um, you know, it's a great game, man, but, but it's only great when you bring multiple dimensions to the table, cultures and, and ideas and, 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 and voices and, and, and a collaborative way, uh, you can, you know, really, really win a lot of championships. Uh, and, and I think that they know that's the case and that's the formula, but we need to do a better job of, of including it, people in it and also really practicing what, what you really uh, should be preaching. You mentioned uh, two words, uh, the mystique and legacy. And immediately I thought about Roberto. And I want to piggyback on those two words, but specifically legacy. So here it is, Willie. Uh, you have a 9.45 a.m. meeting with the commissioner, Rob Manfred, to discuss, as someone who played for the Pittsburgh Pirates and someone that has an unbelievable, extraordinary legacy in baseball, you have that 945 meeting to talk about should Roberto Clemente's number be retired? 
So talking about that legacy that you got a chance to experience through his teammates after his passing, what would you say to the commissioner of baseball on why Clemente's, besides the obvious, that number needs to be retired? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it is the obvious. I mean, it's, it's, you know, his playing career, which is unparalleled at anyone, things he did off the field. Um, uh, but, but, but I think for, for the people, for the people, I think it's important also, I mean, to, 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 to think about what he did for everyone, but especially for the Latin community and for different Latin, Latino people or in the world. I, I think that that's, 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 that's huge. I mean, he was the one, he was the pioneer, he was the best. And there were other great players too that we can mention, the Marichels and all the other people that were unbelievable players and Minnie Minoso starting out. Talking about the Negro Leagues, Minnie Minoso goes back to- Yes, he does, you know? yes, he does. So, so just his, his impact, on, 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 on everyone that he touched. So you really can't get away from what he did on the field and we off the field. That is the more to me in itself enough right there. Okay. But, but just the things that he did unconditionally and the things that he did for people and the legacy of the lineage of all the people that he's touched, you look around baseball and you can see all these people that he touched all the way down to even to this day, people try to emulate him. They try to imitate him. No one can, but but he is that inspiring. So for me, you know, Mr. Commissioner, you know, this to me is something that needs to be done. We've talked about it for a long time, but there's no reason why, you know, and I think everyone that loves the game of baseball and loves humanity and loves people that that, that give their life and their time, they should have a problem with that. So I know that, that sometimes these things take time to develop, but I think it's way past time for a guy like the great Roberto Clemente to be honored the way he should be by having his number retired. Now, that's just me. I think there's, a, there's millions of other people who feel the same way. So, Mr. Manfred, I, I, I urge you to, to get it done and do it because there's something that, that that's way, well overdue in my mind. Powerful words from the great Willie Randolph. Um, certainly, I am so thrilled that you are part of the Talking 21 podcast, but most importantly, Willie, our friendship of now 15 years and that you brought this guy who was there in the mezzanine section in 2006 to experience that playoff run that went to game seven. I'll tell you this, Adam Wainwright, and we had him as one of our guests this year. He actually spoke very, he spoke very highly of you, Willie, specifically about a move with Cliff Floyd, but I'll let you hear that particular episode. I'm not going to blow it. I will send it to you. But Willie, thank you so very much for being with us on Talking 21 podcast. And I just can't wait for us to drop this episode. Well, so Willie, from my heart, thank you very much. Honor, Danny. You know, I love you, man. We go way, way back. I'm so happy we got a chance to talk a little baseball, man. And we'll do it again soon, man. All right? You guys stay safe. I really, I really appreciate it, man. I see the Christmas cards every year, and uh, you got a gorgeous family, man. So send my best to everybody, okay? Willie Randolph, as I mentioned in part one of our conversation, you're truly a hometown champion in my book. Thank you for joining us, and we are looking forward to inviting you back to our pod. The crew had a lot of fun. I'm sure our listeners enjoyed this installment of our podcast, and I'll once again use a familiar Mets catchphrase, Your career was truly amazing. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at Talkin21Podcast. And yes, we're also on Facebook and YouTube. A special thank you to our co-writer and executive producer, Ras Guevara, and to our social media manager, 
Senor Bezos. This is your host, Danny Torres, and be sure to follow me on Twitter at DannyT21. Keep tuning in for our continued conversations about the great one, Roberto Clemente Walker.